Well, we're in this series called Real Love, and today we're looking at loving God. One little text sent chills up and down his spine, froze his heart with fear. One little phrase from his older brother, no less. They hadn't seen each other for 20 years, but uh, there had been no communication between them, but he knew that he had it coming to him because he'd always kind of been mama's boy and his dad was always, uh, you know, his, his older brother always was dad's delight because his brother was big and strong and liked being outdoors and was explorer and hunter and he preferred being indoors with mom. And, but he always seemed to figure out a way to outsmart his brother and to get what he wanted. And over the years, he'd managed to finagle his brother's birthright and, and then also his blessings. Stealing that one really did put it over the top with their dad and uh, with his brother. I mean, in anger, his older brother had threatened, when dad dies, you're toast. And that's what you can find right there. I mean, that's a loose translation of Genesis 27, 41. It says, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob ran for his life. He took his mom's suggestion and he ran to her brother's house, his uncle Laban. He hadn't been there, and they lived a long ways away. And uh, year after year after year went by, and uh, God was blessing Jacob. And um, he fell in love with the younger daughter of, of Laban. Laban said, well, you could marry her. just got to work seven years. And so he did, and uh, it was a joy. And uh, then when he woke up the morning after the wedding, he found out that he'd been tricked and that he actually had uh, married the older daughter, and so Laban said, well, not, not, not to worry. You can have the other one too, just work another seven years. And so, so he did. And um, they each had a, a servant girl or a concubine that came with them. And so Jacob found himself now having four uh, wives or two wives, two concubines. And uh, by the time you get to the story with Esau, 20 years have gone by. He has one daughter and 11 sons. And then came the message that just froze him in fear. And it was this. Esau is coming to see you. There are over 400 men coming with him. <laughs> and it says in Genesis 32, verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, that's his family, and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps. I think he's thinking, well, if, if Esau gets one, maybe the other will escape. So the odds go up to 50-50 that we'll get away. And Jacob began to pray like mad. I mean, look at verse 11. He prays, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. The, the mothers with the children. He says, God, we're going into a crisis here. I angered this guy. I treated him unfairly. He was angry at me. He threatened to take my life. And now he's headed my direction with his own little army of 400 people. What do you do when crisis Head your direction. What do you do with bad news? What do you do when doom seems imminent? I mean, he, he gives us some, uh, an outline here. He prays seriously. He took time and he prayed with God. And then he had a plan. Divide him into two groups and maybe half will survive. And then he wrestles with God all night. And he says, bless me, bless me, bless me. And God honored it and did. I mean, he changed his name from Jacob to, I, uh, to Israel so they're no longer the, the people of Abraham, they're the people of Israel. And 
So his is the name that's used, and God blesses him. And then he says, i got to give some presents. And so he lines us up so that Esau is going to be getting a present after a present after a present. It's basically a bribe, you see. And so he sends him, if you read the verses, he sent in the first group he sent 200 female goats and 20 male goats. They got there and they said, this is a gift to you, my lord Esau, from your brother Jacob. And then a group of 200 ewes and 20 rams. This is a gift to you, my lord Esau, from your brother Jacob. And then 30 milking camels and their calves. This is a gift to you. And 40 cows and 10 bulls. This is a gift to you, my lord Esau. And then 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. It's kind of sounding like the 12 days of Christmas, isn't it? (laughs) But he sent all of this, and then behind that he prioritized his family. Who would I sacrifice first? Who matters most to me? So first he put girlfriend number two with her two sons, and then girlfriend number one in a group behind her with her two sons, and then wife number one with her six sons, and then wife number two, who he wished had been number, wife number one, with her one son, and then finally himself. He's thinking his life is in danger. He's thinking this could be it. And he prioritizes from the least to the greatest of what he prizes most and who he prizes most. Now, I think we've kind of done the same. I got thinking about this. If you look at circles around you of what you see as most important, well, way out there would be the masses a long way away that you've never known, and they don't know your name or that you're alive. And then inside of that would be a ring of people that are Americans, one and all, who share this same great country. And then inside that would be a a group of Americans who believe politically like you do. And then inside of that would be Americans who believe in God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit like we do. And then inside that would be, you know, Orange County people who share this same great spot on the planet and this moment in time. And inside of that, I put my immediate neighbors and then my church family and then my friends and then my favorites and then my family and then my wife, Cindy, and then me right in the middle. And you've probably done the similar kind of thing if you think about it. I mean, we're talking today about real love and we're talking about loving God. God has real love for you. He put you at the center of his thoughts. He sent his son into this world to die in your place so that you could live for free in heaven forever based on Christ's merits. So God has real love for you. Do you have real love for God? Is it mutual? Or is it kind of like that girl that I dated in high school that we only had one thing in common? We both loved her. (laughs) So it didn't really work. Do you love God with all your heart? I mean, where would you put him in your idealized priorities of here's the priorities in my life? Where would he actually line up in your actual priorities from how you lived last week? I mean, this is really important to God. He was clear the place he wants in your heart. It's called the greatest commandment in the Bible. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to give you a bunch of different scriptures, really going from Genesis to Revelation, to show the same point. In Deuteronomy 6, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today will be on your heart. You will teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Keep them as frontlets between your eyes. 
You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, don't ever forget. Put God first and don't waver from that. Keep God as the number one priority in your life. Do you love God with all your heart? This is very important to God. It even said this earlier in Deuteronomy in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. God promises that if people search for him with all their heart, he will be found. You go, well, I've kind of looked for God. I never found him, really. I mean, I've known about him. I've heard his name. Well, maybe you're just doing a half-hearted search. Maybe you've put a half-hearted effort or you have a half-hearted commitment or you, you follow God when it's convenient. Kind of like there's a, a pastor, Reverend Wilbur Reese. He actually died uh, last year, but he wrote a book by a title of the same little poem. It's the title, I Would Like to Buy $3 Worth of God. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to... Equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. You know, Jeremiah the prophet said, uh, speaking for God, you will seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 12. We've had chapter 4 and chapter 6. Chapter 12 says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And then in case you missed it in chapter 10, in verse chapter 11, he says, If you indeed obey my commands that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, he will give you rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain. And you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you will eat and be full. And then he goes on and says, Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside, because God can turn all those blessings off as well. Deuteronomy 13 says, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I mean, it's a concept I think is pretty easy to understand that you set priorities in your life and then you say, what's the highest priority in my life? Number one priority in my life. And God's saying that's the spot that he deserves. That's the spot he wants to be in. He doesn't really want to be in anywhere else in your priorities. He just wants to be number one. So it's a concept that's easy to understand. It is hard to do. I mean, God knows it's not easy to love God and with all your heart and to keep him in spot number one. And you have to make sacrifices and choices if you're going to make that happen. It's a test. And God is watching. Toward the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 26, it says, the day, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them, you guessed, with all your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs says the same thing. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. God has been so good. He is so good to you. He is so good to us. You could trust him with your whole heart, but we wander we wander. It's a problem. God still comes looking for us because he loves us and he's calling us to himself. The prophet Isaiah tried to explain this in chapter 29. He says, the Lord said, this people draws near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is 
a commandment taught by men. He says, this is a problem because God can hear your words, but he knows your heart. And he watches your actions, which spell out your priorities. It tells what's really important to you. Don't try to fool God. He says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They say the right thing. They go through the right motions. They sing the right songs. They want me to think that I'm first in their priorities, but they've got me stuck in there somewhere between their first wife and their second girlfriend. Their hearts are far away. They've had the book learning They've learned the commandments taught by men. In other words, God gave Moses commandments. He wrote them down. People read them and they teach them. We can learn them with our head. But it's got to get from our head to our heart. He says, do you love me? Not with all your head. He says, do you love me with all your heart? It's an issue of the heart. God wants your heart. He wants your whole heart. And what do you do about a wandering heart? Well, when you recognize it's wandering, you recalibrate. You re- you re- you repent, you return to the Lord. Samuel the prophet, and he was also a judge, said that to Israel. He said, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the astera from among you. That's idols. Put away the idols and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines, your enemies. So you need to take some practical steps to return to the Lord, make some choices, take some steps, get the evil things out of your way, the things that would distract you or get you off track, and follow the Lord with your whole heart. Joel said the same, the prophet Joel. He said, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. I mean, we can make a choice with the information we have. Sometimes we think, oh, I just need more data. I need more information. I need to know more. Can I trust God? And God in his word is trying to show over and over and over. He is giving us all we need to know. You can choose God and put him first in your heart and in your life today and choose to live that way. And when asked what's the greatest commandment, Jesus quoted this, and it's, it's recorded in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Do you have real love for God? Do you love God with all your heart? Because that's why we worship. That's why we get together and praise God. You know, worship is both a, a verb and a noun. The noun, it's, it's a feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. The worship of God. I mean, synonyms are reverence or devotion or praise or glory or honor or respect or homage. And the verb is to show reverence and adoration for a deity, to honor with religious rites. So worship is the act of attributing reverent honor and homage to God. Well, you can do that by yourself. There's lots of examples in the Bible. For instance, one of the early ones, Genesis chapter 8. Noah's been on the boat for who knows how long, and they've waited after the flood was over uh, for the waters to go down, and finally their boat uh, comes to rest on land. And then as the waters are receding, finally the land is dry enough. And as they're getting off the boat, the first thing he does is build an altar and sacrifice to the Lord. It's an act of worship. It was an act of sincere appreciation to God that he was still among the living in this world. You go a little further and you have Abraham. And God develops this relationship with Abraham. And they, they are working along with each other. And Abraham is growing in his faith. And finally God puts a huge test in front of him. He had promised a son to Abraham. It took him 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. Then a few years go by. We don't know how many, but the child was old enough to reason and ask good questions. So he is at least 5 or 10 years old. And God comes to Abraham and says, Take that son that you love and go to a place I'm going to show you on a mountain and sacrifice him to me. 
And when Abraham heard that and knew he had heard the voice of God, do you know what he did? He started chopping the wood and loading it on the donkey and getting ready to go. They left the next morning. And when they got to the base of the mountain in Genesis 22, it says, Abraham said to the young men, the ones who were helping get everything there, he said, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will come again to you. His worship was an, a sacrifice, a, a very expensive sacrifice, the life of his son. And it was also an act of obedience to God to say, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, regardless how high the price. Abraham had God as number one in his heart and in his life. Joshua was Moses' assistant. And when Moses was, uh, was not allowed to go into the promised land, he got them out of Egypt into the wilderness, and they received the law. But Moses had flashes of anger that got him in trouble. And so God said, you're not going to go into the promised land. I'm going to send people forward with Joshua. So Joshua inherits Moses' job. It was a tough job. He's the one who's called by God to bring the people from the wilderness into the promised land. And he had been one of the, the uh, spies 40 years earlier when he was younger, and he he had spied out Jericho and the whole area, and Jericho was the first city on the other side of the Jordan River that was going to be an obstacle to them. Now he's the commanding general. He's the head of state. He's out doing his own research. And in Joshua 5, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or against us? And he said, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now I've come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now who's he talking to here? He's not named. This is Jesus come in the flesh. Is God come into this world, stepping right in front of him. He said, are you for us or against us? And he recognized this is divine. This is, this is God. This is not just an angel. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So although he's the commander and in charge of everything, when all of a sudden when he recognizes he is in the presence of God and God tells him what to do, he obeys God first and foremost. Gideon did the same. When he was given a tough task by God, you can read that in Judges 7, that God comes to him and says, Gideon, you are favored by God. And here he is, he's threshing his wheat in secret because he's afraid of his enemies. And he says, the Lord is with you. And he's kind of a smart aleck too because he says, well, you should have seen what things were like when God wasn't here if you think this is so great, you know, because things were really going poorly. And God comes to him and says, okay, I'm going to use you and a few people to, to overcome thousands and thousands of the enemy. And uh, Gideon is afraid. And so the night before it happens, God takes Gideon and says, go down, and, go down near the enemy camp and just listen. And he goes down there and he hears somebody say, you know, I had a dream last night. And they tell a dream of being obliterated by the Israelites. And it says, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He had this private little moment in the dark all by himself that he wasn't expecting, he hadn't prepared in advance, and he just worshiped the Lord. 
There's a story in 1 Samuel as well of a couple that were not able to have children and they were grief-stricken. And Hannah went and prayed before the Lord and her husband Elkanah was there with her. And in 1 Samuel 1, it talks about how Samuel the prophet um, comes to them and says, God has heard your prayer and he's going to answer your prayer by this time next year. And it says in 1 Samuel 1.19, they rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back home. Job had a very similar kind of experience where he, the Bible says that he was a righteous man and he was well-to-do and he had prospered in a lot of ways. And then all of a sudden, in a very few short verses, he starts to get all kinds of bad news. You know, somebody stole your donkeys. The horses ran away. The camels are gone. The house collapsed on all ten of your children while they were at a party and they've all died. And after so much bad news, it says he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshiped God. He turned to God. Each and every one of these people recognizes who God is and puts God in the proper place. First Chronicles 16, 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So how do you prepare for worship? How do you worship in love? Well, you can do it alone when you suddenly you're in one of those moments and you know that God is with you. And to say, God, I worship you. But the other is we come together with other people. We worship corporately. We actually plan ahead. And we do it regularly where we're together once a week or even more often. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Or like the Psalm 100 that, uh, that Lauren read to us, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And on and on. And bless him because the Lord is good. You know, God wants his people gathering together to worship him and to praise his name. Solomon was David's son, and he was given the task and the blessing of building a temple in Jerusalem. David had wanted to. God said no. And so David collected all the supplies and got it ready. And then Solomon was the one who got to build the temple. And it says in the Bible it took seven years. When I read that as a kid, it seemed like it was a really long time. Now that we've been working on our project for 20 years, seven seems, you know, just we can handle it, you know, and, and so it seems kind of short, but anyway, it took them seven years. Of course, they didn't have, you know, regulations and inspectors and neighbors like, we, like we've had, and uh, so we're just going to persist and learn the lessons of patience that, that God wants us to. So you can read the whole story, but when they finally got the temple built, they have this huge party. They invite everybody, and uh, then they get together for worship, and the, the Solomon prays, and then God responds with fire and lights the sacrifice on the altar on fire, and then it says the people worshiped God. When all the people of Israel, 2 Chronicles 7, 3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement, and they worshiped, and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His steadfast love endures forever. He is good, His steadfast love. In other words, they were scared spitless. Because Solomon had prayed, and all of a sudden the fire of God comes down and lights the, the sacrifice on fire, and they are all down on the ground just spontaneously with, uh, with their noses on the pavement, and they're worshiping, and they're remembering, God is good, he's God, don't kill me, God is good, God is good, let us live, he endures forever. And why come to worship? We come to worship, one, out of habit, 
It's a good habit to gather together with people to worship God. And another is because of the friends, because you can make friends here and uh, to find our way in with other people and to walk the Jesus way together. And another great reason to come to worship is to meet with God, to hear God's word and to let God speak to you and have a disciplined attempt to worship God and to hear his voice and to honor him. So there's an importance in that then of preparation for worship. Now we do preparation every week. We try to get the slides on the right uh, your right sync so we can sing the right words and we hope you know a few of them uh, you know if we don't and and if we if we get them out of order um we're going to still want to worship god and so this idea that we're going to come prepared for worship that god, we want god to show up so on an individual level i'm going to get to all of us in a minute but on an individual level we need to get to worship rested we need to get to worship on time and without having a family fight on the way here. And uh, we need to be ready and, and awake and uh, to bring your heart ready to hear God's word and to bring a gift in your hand and to prepare to do some unusual things. I mean, think about where else do you gather with hundreds of people and all close your eyes at the same time? Where do you gather with that many people to hear from missionaries who are halfway or from around the world and tell you something that never makes the evening news but matters very much to God? Where is it that you gather with hundreds of people to sing? Well, only in worship. And so music is a big, important part of this. And in the Bible, in 2 Chronicles 29, it says, The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And then at that time, it was King Hezekiah, and the king's officials commanded the Levites, Sing praises to the Lord and with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness right out of the book of Psalms. And they bowed down and they worshipped. So what goes on in your head when we sing? Are you saying, boy, I am singing to the glory of God? Or are you saying, I hope that to God the person next to me can't hear what I'm singing because it would be embarrass me? Do you see what I'm saying? The focus needs to be on God. I was in, it was actually at the 11 o'clock service a few weeks ago, but I looked down the front row and here's, here's somebody whose just hands are lifted. They are praising God. They are singing. I know their life's been broken. They arrived here just a few months ago. They've actually had to move back to the Midwest now to be closer to family because of some of the awful things they've been through. But in that moment, she was just lifting her heart and her hands and her praise to the Lord. And I had to look to say, well, Ty... What's, how, what's, how are you adoring the Lord today? Or do we just kind of get commonplace and old hat with the blessings upon blessings that he pours on so many of us? And so it was kind of a good little reminder. Pour your heart out completely to God. Of course, the best way to communicate your love for God is sheer obedience, right? To worship God in spirit and in truth, to ascribe to the Lord glory to his name, to sing new songs to him, to follow him in, in obedience. And so, you know, when we are together in worship, like I said, when we do our best, when we get off track, or if we get off, or when we get off track, because that's going to happen a few times, we're not going to get too irritated. We're going to just say our focus wants to be on the Lord. That's what we're trying to do, and we want to keep our hearts in the right place. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one bring a hymn or a lesson or a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up the body of Christ and for listening to God's good news. And someday, you see, we're going to worship in heaven around God's throne. 
So now's a good time to practice that. If over and over in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 4, it says, the 24 elders fell down before him who's seated on the throne. They worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before his throne. Revelation 5, the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and they worshiped. Revelation 19, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, and they said, amen, hallelujah. In Revelation 22, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be on it, and His servants will worship Him. And so we worship God in spirit and in truth with our whole heart, and we have Him number one. What is the proof that we have truly worshiped God? I think it's that our hearts are touched so with His compassion that we love the people that He places in our path. It's practical. We have this love relationship going with God, but then, it, then it, it proves itself by how we love those around us. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In Colossians, two verses later, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. In Acts 13, it says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God loves us. He wants us to claim Him as number one in our life and make Him our own. And yet He is in charge. And He comes and He gives us tasks to do. Paul and Barnabas, He gave a huge task. Go be the first missionaries in the world and take the gospel over the entire known world and then you know, write half the New Testament. For us, He comes He gives sometimes just little tasks. Go sit in the nursery for an hour a week and hold a baby. And make sure they come back happy, fed, and dry. You could do that. And Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, God, by the mercy, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God has real love for you, and He wants real love from us in return. So in worship, we refresh our love for God. And in service, we demonstrate our love for God by serving the people He's placed in our path. Is God number one in your priorities? Let me ask you, if you got a message equivalent to what Jacob got that day, that is, your arch enemies headed your direction with 400 men, would the order of the loves in your life be the same order that they were the day before? Or would you suddenly be making some quick changes, some bargains, some, hey, wait a minute, God needs to slide up in the priorities. If not, why not just get him there today? Put him in his proper spot. Number one, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word, how we can see all the way through that you are worthy of our praise, that you have real love demonstrated for us, and that you want real love back from us. You don't want us to fake it. You don't want to be second, third, fourth, or fifth in our lives. You don't want us just to give you love when it's convenient. You want to be the Lord in our hearts and rule and reign there. And you want us to demonstrate that we are in love with you by how we serve those around us. Take us from this place today committed to follow you in all things 
and to have you be the Lord of our hearts. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.